We are family. I want to share with you from out of the Scripture, 1 John chapter 2, verse 7, and then a, a short piece of a verse from out of 1 Peter. So now listen to these words. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but the old commandment I have told you from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. Now, by the way, that word is, and that commandment is, love one another. Okay, so that's the commandment. Yet I'm writing to you a new commandment that is true in him and in you because the darkness is passing away and true light is already shining. Whoever says, I am in the light while hating a brother or sister is still in darkness. Whoever loves a brother or sister lives in the light, and in such a person there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates another believer is in the darkness, walks in the darkness, and does not know the way to go because the darkness has brought on blindness. I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven on account of his name. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young people, because you have conquered the evil one. I am writing to you, children, because you know the Father. Then from 1 Peter chapter 2, love the family of believers. Let's pray. Lord, we really need you. We need to hear from you. Lord, in this season, many of us feel so depleted, so little to give. And so, Lord, we pray that you would give yourself to us. Speak, Lord, to us. Speak, Lord, in us. And, Lord, may we be transformed to be and to become what you've created us to be. For we make our prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Nearly 30 years ago now, Howard began attending the church that I was pastoring. Howard had gotten connection with that particular congregation because of his business. He was in the music business providing technology. And so he had installed all of our uh, audio equipment and had trained our crew how to use that equipment. Howard kind of liked the crew, so he decided that one Sunday morning he would come and join us for worship. Now, in this particular church, it was basically a middle-class, very conservative congregation. And when Howard walked into the room, he looked different than everybody else because he was a part of the music industry, and he kind of looked the part. He had ha hair down to the middle of his back, he always wore an earring, typically a dangling earring, but it was always the right style. Now, Howard looked more like a rock star than he did a Sunday school chap. You kind of get my picture of what I'm saying here? And so Howard came the first Sunday, and then he returned the second Sunday. And he returned the third Sunday, and the fourth Sunday, and the tenth Sunday, and the 20th Sunday, and he became a regular part of that congregation, joined the church, and was active in its ministry. Now, one might expect that Howard would have associated with young adults who were kind of into the music scene. But instead, Howard sat in a part of the sanctuary with 
about four widows who were all old enough to be Howard's mother. They loved Howard, and you better not say anything about Howard around them. And Howard loved them. And one might wonder, why did that happen? Why did this guy who seemed so different than the majority of the folks in that congregation, how did he feel comfortable in worshiping with those folks there? Why did he feel like returning? And why did he become a part of that community of faith? Well, in reflecting on that, I think I know the answer to that. You see, that church, the people who were part of that congregation, valued two things. They valued family and hospitality. And they welcomed Howard and made him feel like he was a part of the family. Over the past four weeks, we have been looking at our core values here at Udawa United Methodist Church. These values help to define who we are. They are a part of our DNA, and they help us in terms of how we do things and the decisions we make as a congregation. We've looked at three of these things already. We've looked at the fact that we are hospitable. We've looked at we are mission-minded. And we looked at last week as Jacqueline preached about caring for one another. And today we're going to look at the fourth and that is family. When you walked in, you should have received a card, and on that card, it has our four core values, and I would encourage you to keep that and to keep in mind what that means, and ask God to show you how that you can live out these core values in your own life and as a part of this community of faith. So today, we're looking at family. Our core value is this. We value inclusion through intergenerational and diverse relationships and seek to love one another as members of the family of God. Now, that kind of sounds like a committee wrote it, doesn't it? You know, But some of the language needs to be unpacked. But I think after we've had a, a few moments to think about family, we'll understand it a bit more fully. Family. In the first letter that Paul wrote, uh, that Peter wrote, rather, that made its way into the New Testament... He, in that letter, gave a series of commandments. And he's, one of those was, love the family of believers. Say that with me. Love the family of believers. Say it one more time. Love the family of believers. Now turn to someone who is not related to you by blood and say to them, love the family of believers. Okay? One, two, three, do it. Look around. Now, some of you looked at somebody that was related to you. So, one more time, somebody unrelated to you, at least. One more time. All right, there we go. All right, one, two, three. Okay, do it. Now, one more time. Love the family of believers. All right, there we go. There we go. Love the family of believers. You know, in the Bible, particularly the New Testament, there's a lot of language about this creation, the church, the community of faith, and it's referred to in this metaphor as family. Family. Think about it for a few moments and think, what in the Bible, what in terms of my understanding of the Christian faith is this understanding that the church is family? Now let's think about a relationship with God. So Jesus was once asked by his disciples, please teach us to pray. And so Jesus said, okay, pray this way. Our Father who art in heaven... 
So, Jesus taught his followers that God in heaven could be referred to as Father. As a matter of fact, when you look at Jesus' life anytime he prayed, he would refer to God in heaven as what? Father, 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 Father. And so we have this language that's written in that God is Father. Sometimes Jesus is referred to as Brother. Paul, in writing about the Holy Spirit, said that the Holy Spirit inside of us will cry out within us so that we can call out to God, Abba, Father. Abba is a more intimate term for Father. Kind of our translation might be Daddy. So we have this language that's used related to God. Then we find one of the references about the church, this thing called the church, this community of faith in the world, is oftentimes referred to as the bride of Christ. And Paul tells us that Jesus loved the bride so much that he gave his very life for her existence. Jesus really loves the church, his bride. So we really see in the Bible this language that talks about who God is in relationship to us, this vertical relationship of family. You and I are sons and daughters of God. God is our Father. We are a part of this community that's called the Bride of Christ. Jesus is the groom. We are the bride. And so we see this language used, and we have this intimate relationship with God that the Spirit inside of us allows us to use that intimate language of Abba as we're talking to God family. So there's this vertical relationship. But not only is this relationship vertical, this relationship is horizontal. In the New Testament, we oftentimes find this language that we are family together. We have the language of referring to each other as brothers and sisters. Some of you may have come from church traditions where that's very common. The so-and-so will be referred to as sister so-and-so and brother so-and-so. Sometimes pastors in those traditions are referred to as brothers. And typically in those traditions, it typically is men that do the preaching. But, but they have that family kind of language that's a part of that tradition. Brothers and sisters. Sometimes there's language of this spiritual parents that is within the church. You see it in the New Testament, thinking of those who are younger as sons and daughters. And in some church traditions, you'll have some leadership referred to in language as father. So the church has this language of family. Long before Sister Sledge sang that wonderful song, We Are Family, the church was singing that song as a theme song. We are family. We are family. Over the past 45 years of pastoral ministry, most of those years, Patty and I have been separated from our biological family. When our boys were younger, we, for most of their uh, small childhood, we lived several hours from grandparents. 
Even today, we find that we are separated from our two of our three sons. We have one son and his family that live up on Signal, but the, another of our sons live and his family live in Avenue, Virginia, which is about four hours away. And our other son lives in Little Rock, Arkansas, which is about eight hours away, and he and his family. But, you know, through the years, even though we've been separated from family, God has blessed us to be a part of churches where we have felt and sensed relationships with other that truly feels like family. When our boys were, were, were small kids and we were living away from their grandparents, in the churches that we served at those points, there were folks who acted as surrogate grandparents. Now let me tell you, it meant something to our boys when they loved them like they would love their grandchildren. It meant something to those adults who were loving our sons. Through the years, now I have a, a brother and a sister. Uh, my sister is now the matriarch of our family, and my brother and I, we do what Debbie says to do. Anybody all understand that? I mean, we just do what she says. You do this for Dad, you do that for Dad. We do what Debbie tells us to do. That's just quite kind of a simple thing. And I love my brother and sister. We have a great family, a great relationship together. But there are folks in churches where I've been and here in this church that are as close to me as my biological brother and sister. We are family. We are family. I believe that really I'm one of the most blessed people on earth, particularly when it comes to family, not only church family but biological family. My father is now 87 years old and... Of course, he's living. Patty's mother is uh, 88. She just had a... 89. She's 89. Just had a birthday this week. And so we are really blessed people. Um, I think I've got a couple of pictures for you. I've got uh, Lydia is our uh, granddaughter. There's my dad, and there is uh, Lydia. She's a little bit older than that now, but, but uh, uh, Lydia is now 17 months old, 17 months old. Uh, and then I have another picture with Dad, and this is Willow, who is now uh, seven months uh, old, and she was pretty small at that particular point, but that's my dad. And just think about that. Your dad is, at that point he was 86, and of course Willow at that point was about a few weeks old. And in between are two other generations. Now, I'm blessed. Wouldn't you not agree? My dad's still living, have these small grandchildren as part of the family. We are truly blessed. And in our family, there are two generations in between, my dad and Willow. And all generations are important. All generations are important. And all contribute something so very valuable to our family overall. To our family overall. A few moments ago, I read from out of 1 John, um, and a lot of neat things in that passage. But in that, I wanted you to hear some of his language when he was talking about various groups within the church. He said, I write to you fathers. He said, I write to you little children. I write to you young people. I write to you children. 
Each of these represented for John a different group, age group, within the church. We are by design an intergenerational group of people, and each generation is important to the life of the community of faith, its ministry, and to each other. You see, wherever you are, whether you are a small child, whether you are an adult who's lived many years on earth, or somewhere in between, each brings something very special to all the others, to the church as an entity, as a family, and in our ministry and mission beyond these walls. Everyone brings something very special. Jesus understood something about that. There was one occasion where this huge crowd of people, thousands of people, had come to Jesus to listen to Jesus preach and teach and hopefully would do some healing. And they stayed with Jesus all day. Now, you think sometimes I preach a long time. Think about it, all day long. The problem was there was no dinner. There was nothing for lunch. And Jesus was concerned about the people, and so he began to ask, he said, how are we going to feed all these folks? Y'all know what happened, don't you? Y'all know what happened, right? Jesus contacted the president of the Alpha Circle, and they had casseroles and cookies. For, and they got it all done in less than three hours. I mean, just absolutely amazing. No, that's not exactly what happened. Of all people, there was a boy that had brought his lunch, and he brought his lunch and gave it to Jesus, and Jesus with those few little fish, sardines, and a few pieces of bread, fed everybody. All of us bring something, regardless of where we are, what generation we are, to the whole. Uh, I, I joked a few minutes ago in the, in the traditional service, and some of you in here can relate to this too because you're kind of at this stage of life. But, you know, we've been asked a couple of weeks ago to start uh, checking in, you know, using our phones and pointing it and scanning at the, that, that thing there. Everybody over 60 probably needs somebody that's, oh, 7, 8, 9, 10 years old sitting beside them and handling their phone so that they can check in for us because those kids know how to do this technology stuff. Amen? They got it down. They know how to do it. And we can learn a lot from our kids. But our kids, we have a lot to give them who are older. You see, all generations are very important to the whole. Here in a few weeks, we're going to begin uh, recruiting for confirmation. Confirmation is a wonderful journey, and I enjoy participating in that. For you who don't know what confirmation is, maybe you came from different traditions, confirmation is when we take our youth, typically 6th and 7th graders, and we take them on this adventure of sharing with them the basics of the faith, exploring what it means to live in relationship with Jesus, how we enter into that relationship with Jesus, and then allow them the opportunity and encourage them to make steps of faith so that they are Jesus followers and they can become members of the congregation. That process usually takes about six months here at OUMC. And in our confirmation experience, there's something that happens between the generations, between the students and some adults. We have mentors who will mentor 
the confirmands or the students. The responsibilities of the mentors are to pray regularly for those students during confirmation, send them some notes, send them some messages, how they're praying for them, how they care about them. The mentors uh, will be interviewed by the confirmands. The mentors will provide snacks. They'll be at some of the gatherings with the mentors, and then, or not the mentors, but the confirmands. And when the confirmands join the church, the mentors will be at present with them. I have witnessed over the past eight years of being your pastor that something happens between that student and that mentor that is supernatural. Relationships have been formed that not only endure for the five to six months of confirmation, and not just four or five years later, but become lifetime relationships. You see, that mentor brings to the student something, and that student brings to the mentor something, and a relationship is formed. We are family. We are family. One of my favorite journeys, a journey that we'll be able to celebrate here in a couple of weeks and then again in November, is when we have the opportunity to baptize a small child, oftentimes an infant. And before the baptism takes place, I like to gather with those, with parent or parents, and talk about what this is all about. And I will say to the parents, what's going to happen in this baptism is that they're going to be telling three stories. Three stories. The first story is that God places His mark on this child and claims this child as His own. It's a story, a supernatural story. A story more than just a ritual because God is involved. Then I share that there's a second story that's told. You as a parent, you as parents, tell the story of your commitment to raise and nurture this child in a Christian home to be an example, to nurture this child in the church so that she will grow to become who God created her to be. And then I says it's a story about the church and how we together as a church make a commitment to stand with you, to support this child, to be there for this child, to nurture this child, to train up this child, to be there for you as parents when times are rough, when times are tough, to be there for you. And I'll, I'll say to those parents, I'll say, in the church here, there are people who have been there, done that. They've been through, you know, a child not sleeping through the night. They've been there when the child went to school for the first day. They've been there when the child turned 16. They've been there. And they'll support you and they'll help nurture you. But there's also parents who are following you, couples that are getting married, couples that are going to be having their first baby, and you're to stand alongside of them. You see, that's the story of family. We are an intergenerational church, and each generation is important to the whole, and we support one another. Amen? That's who we are. 
We are family. We are family. And one of the most beautiful uh, chapters in the Bible, it comes out of Revelation chapter 5. It's a beautiful picture of, of Easter, the first Easter ever when Jesus raised from the dead. And the scene in heaven is this. In heaven, God is on the throne. And in God's hand, there's a scroll that is sealed, and a search is made, who is worthy to open up the scroll? And the scroll is God's intention for human history. Big stuff. And after the search is made, no one is found. And then appears on the scene in heaven, Jesus, the Lamb as if he had been slain, and the scroll is given to Jesus. And folks are so excited in heaven. Jonathan, you know what they start to do? They do what? They do what? They sing. They sing. You know, when God's people get excited, they start to sing. And they sing. And the author of Revelation said, they sang a new song. And this is the first verse. You are worthy, singing to Jesus, you are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals because you were slain. And your blood, by your blood, you purchased for God persons from every tribe and language and people and nation. That's pretty inclusive, isn't it? From everybody. It didn't matter the color of your skin. It doesn't matter the dialect that you have, the particular language that you speak, the culture from which you come from. Jesus has purchased people from every tribe, from every dialect, from every nation, from every race, from every continent. Jesus, by His blood, has purchased them to be a part of this family. We value not only intergenerational diversity, but all diversity. Jesus purchased all. My dream has been for our church, as we gather for worship on a Sunday morning like this, not only that all the seats be filled, but the seats that are filled will be a reflection of the people who live out in the community around us. The racial diversity, the ethnic diversity, the socioeconomic diversity will be a part of who we are. Our world today so needs microcosms where people who are different can gather and can live in harmony with each other. Our world so needs that, and that is God's intention for the church. We have some of that here, but we still got a ways to go. And I believe that many of you long for that same kind of diversity among us. We value family. We are family. Intergenerational, diverse together. We are family. We are family. I would encourage you to pray and ask God, God, how can I be more a part of the family at Udawa United Methodist Church? How can I reach out to my neighbors and help them to know that this is a place where they can be a part of the family? And maybe you're like I am. I've got a, I live in a diverse neighborhood these days. 
And we invite people who may be a little bit different, have a little different cultures, eat a little different style of food than we do. Maybe their skin's a little bit different shade than ours. And we invite them to be a part so that they can enjoy family. This is something we value as a church. And we can even make it more pronounced for the glory of God. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you today for uh, the world you created. Lord, it's such a beautiful, wonderful place. And, and Lord, how you've created us to, to age in this world and to go from being infants to, to adults and to older adults. And Lord, you've created such diversity among us with, uh, with race and with ethnicity and culture and socioeconomic kind of factors, Lord. And Lord, I pray for this church, Lord, that this value that we hold in is dear to us, that you would make us even more so connected to each other. And Lord, may our church truly be a reflection of the community around us. And Lord, let us be one in Jesus Christ.